Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 96. Money. Money might seem an odd topic to talk about when I'm working in a healthcare service that is free at the point of delivery. That's one of the beauties of working in the NHS. A woman doesn't have to think about the price of her care in contrast to many other areas of the world. But for us, money is never far from our mind. Budget is a constant constraint that we have to think about. It may be that the NHS has billions of pounds at its disposal, but day to day everything is tightly controlled. And I am conscious and aware of this when I'm doing my day-to-day job. I appreciate this may be in part because at times in my career I've had that management responsibility for that budget. It's been down to me to make sure that things are controlled and that the budget isn't overspent. But every aspect of staffing, every item of equipment is scrutinised. And every year, efficiencies must be made. In other words, do more for less. Work harder, more efficiently, reduce wastage. Make the same stuff cheaper. Save 5% year on year through SIPs or cost improvement programmes. It can feel like we're putting our hand down the back of the sofa in the hope of finding a bit of stray loose change. One perplexing thing is the short-term nature of the budget. Budget planning is yearly, not unlike any other business. However, this short-termism can lead to contradictions. We simply can't spend money because we know it makes clinical sense. It has to be written up as a business case and go to committee after committee for decision-making. It can feel impossibly frustrating at times, like getting blood out of a stone. We have to categorise the spend. Is this capital spend one-off? Is it a consumable that's going to be a recurrent cost? Is it staffing? Is it sustainable? These categories and ideas may seem obvious to anyone running a business, but to me as a medical professional with no training in business, it can seem baffling, unnecessary, red tape and bureaucracy. In a traditional approach to hospital management and NHS management, 
there can be very little clinical involvement in this decision-making. As a surgeon operating, one can have surprisingly little influence on what equipment is used. Let's take sutures or stitches, for example. The hospital trialled some sutures. They were a cheaper version of what we already used. We, as surgeons, were not happy. We had numerous problems with the needles. The needle holder, the instrument we used to grip the needles, didn't grip the needles adequately. Part of the needle should be flattened to enable the needle not to rotate as we put it through the tissues. We went back to our old sutures and then I was called upon to explain to the rep from the new suture company what the issues were. They couldn't agree with what I was saying. They weren't a doctor. They didn't actually use the sutures. They kept telling me that the sutures were identical to what I was already using. In the end, in my frustration, I had to physically obtain both samples, the sutures I liked and the new sutures that they were trying to make us use, the cheap ones. I had to hold them up and show what I meant. So having told me that under the microscope they're exactly the same, they're identical, there's no difference, I was able to hold them up and show them that with the naked eye I could see an immediate difference. Finally they understood what I meant. They conceded that they were entirely different. And then the rep went off to refine the manufacturing process. And then we switched to the cheaper sutures. It was a battle to hold out though. It was a battle to get the equipment that we felt was necessary to do our job. Gloves might be another example. Gloves are very important the idea that they fit closely over your fingers, correctly fitting so that you can feel the tissues and use your fine touch and motor skills to operate. Poorly fitting gloves can cause issues. Perhaps you can't feel the suture on the baby's head or the gloves tear more often and more easily so that you use additional pairs. When I started, we had really good, sterile, high quality gloves throughout the department. Now I'm only allowed these gloves in the operating theatre. On the labour ward in the antenatal clinic, I have to use a cheaper version, a less well-fitting version, a non-sterile version. Over time, everything feels like it gets eroded. Only occasionally do we manage to reject things such as the disposable operating gowns that simply soaked straight through instantly so that we were wet through to our underwear. We're economic with everything. In our maternity theatre, our theatre scrub support workers are trained to be economic with the numbers of sutures they give us or the numbers of packs of swabs. A caesarean has a certain set number. If it looks like we're going to need more than that, we won't be allowed a new swab until every patch of white 
on an existing swab is soaked. Even when we clean the woman at the end of an operation, keeping her anti-embolic stockings clean at the end of surgery, not spilling any blood on them, is a saving. We don't have to replace and give her new stockings because we've messed them up. When we want to spend money, it can feel unbelievably difficult. You've got to decide which committee you're going to. You've got to write it up and justify it to people that have nothing to do with what you're trying to do. And often at the end of the day, if it's a one-off spend, we'll get the answer, try the charity, try for charitable funds. Most hospitals will have a charity. When you see signs for a hospital charity, you may wonder why we're asking for stuff because you'll be thinking your tax-paying money is paying for everything, isn't it? And it absolutely is. And because it is taxpayers' money, that's absolutely why we need to be careful with it. But charitable funds can end up covering anything from decoration of a waiting area, new waiting room chairs, for example, to a piece of what might seem to be important equipment. I know at my hospital, masses of equipment has been purchased by the fantastic Born Too Soon charity run by Pauline Woods, a parent support for our neonatal unit. One of the things I found extraordinary when I was trying to manage money was the idea that money resets at the end of the year. And that's partly why I'm recording this podcast now at this point in time. It's March. March, I quickly learned, is the time of end of year money. All year, year in, year out, all year round, we're told we can't spend a penny. Then suddenly, in the run-up to the end of the year, there's a call for items. We've got some budget left. We need to spend it. Suddenly we can buy anything and everything to use up the budget. I was literally told by one of our senior midwives the other day that she asked for a new piece of theatre equipment. She'd asked for it a month ago. She was told no. No chance. Don't even bother preparing the business case. And then this week, quick, give me the business case. We can buy it. We've got money left over. This is because at the end of the year, and our financial year runs April to April, like many people, everything gets reset to zero. If we've made savings... We don't get to keep the benefit. It's important we balance the books and we're not in deficit. And if you look on the website that looks at the spending in the NHS, you can see that the numbers of trusts in deficit at the end of the year is reducing significantly. But this means that we can end up 
needing to spend money in a rush at the end of the year simply because if we don't, that money will disappear overnight when the financial year moves on. Anyone supplying the NHS gets wise to this after a couple of years. There's a massive flurry of activity in March. The sudden request, can we buy X piece of equipment or a training event? But can we pay the bill now? Can we pay the bill in March and have the event next year? Otherwise, there's no hope. We can't pay for it. We can pay now but not in the future. And this doesn't just happen at local level. We need to keep our eyes peeled for opportunities. Often as we're coming around to December, January time, little pots of money start to appear. We're invited to bid for a little flurry of money for a very specific cause or improvement project. So if you're savvy and in the know, you might manage to get some funding. You might manage to put in for one of those pots. You might be successful. But it can sometimes mean that you randomly do things that you wouldn't have otherwise done. I remember one year there were bids for improving the environment and we cobbled together a bid to do up a couple of rooms in the maternity unit. And it was very much finger in the air, let's make something up quickly for a chance to get that money. And when we won it, we were a little bit, okay, that's fantastic and we'll do that work and that's wonderful. But it wouldn't have been our top priority. But it met the guidance that we needed to meet to put the bid in to have any hope of winning anything. So you can sometimes end up doing things in a slightly wacky order simply because this thing that you wanted to do would meet criteria and be able to win some funding. And that thing that although it was more your priority, just wasn't, there wasn't a pot of money available for that. So that has to stay on the back burner. The other confusing thing is the insanity of different budgets. Some items, big ticket items, are very high cost and rapidly obsolete. So they're on a rolling programme. We'll be bumbling along and, for example, an ultrasound machine. There's a rolling programme to replace them every X years alongside other medical devices. Everything will be working fine, but it's time. It's due an upgrade. It's that moment at which that machine has been deemed to need to be improved upon, even if it's working, even if it seems to us at face value that there are other things that are more important. It's in the rolling replacement programme. And for whatever reason, the powers that be have decided that that particular piece of equipment is only regulated for a certain number of years and then must be replaced. Other things seem to have to be falling apart, sometimes even stuck together 
with a piece of tape or obsolete before being replaced, possibly because the parts are no longer manufactured that are needed for repairs. We can't cobble it together any longer. The equipment is literally falling apart. It may seem extraordinary to talk about these tiny little savings and these little bits of money when the spend on the NHS, if you look it up, is £136 billion a year. These little bits of money are a drop in the ocean. According to the King's Fund website, it takes about a billion pounds to run the NHS for two and a half days. Whatever money you put into the NHS, it's never going to be enough. It's a bottomless pit that just gets deeper and deeper, partly because there are new inventions, new drugs to spend money on, new pieces of equipment more staff, people surviving with more complex medical conditions or more complicated needs that we can now do something about. So I hope this peek behind the scenes has given you a little bit of a feel. So where is this money taking me in terms of a zesty bit? I hope that this zesty bit has given you a little peek behind the scenes. I'm hoping that for women using our service, they're not aware of all the bean counting, of all the efficiencies, of all the care we're taking to try and save that little bit of money. I'm hoping that their care seems and feels seamless and free at the point of delivery so that the care they receive is first and foremost and they don't have to worry about bills or how they're going to pay, unlike in other areas of the world. If you're supplying the NHS, be tolerant of our foibles, our end-of-year money panics and our inability to make a decision and commit to spending The hoops we've got to jump through sometimes feel insurmountable and it isn't that we don't want to purchase things, it's just sometimes that our hands are tied. And if you're a member of the maternity service staff listening to this, know that there is opportunity, there are ways of funding things, but you've got to be smart You've got to be clever about it. You've got to ask around. You've got to try and seek out those opportunities. And you've got to make a case, a really good case, for why you need to spend what you need to spend. And be thrifty. Every blood test you take, every pack of gloves you open, every piece of equipment you use, make sure it's absolutely necessary. Don't waste things and care for them. Care for expensive items of equipment as if they belonged to you so that we don't waste money 
on the things we don't need to. And we can keep the money for the things that we really want and need to spend money on, to give the best possible care we can. So I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the OBS pod. If you have, please do leave me a review, subscribe and join me again to explore more about the day-to-day life of an NHS obstetrician. Please do share what you've enjoyed about listening and particularly if you've done anything differently as a result. I would like to confirm that although I'm talking about my experiences in my working life, there is no intention to identify any specific woman or family under my care. I take confidentiality very seriously. If you want more information about me, I can be found on Twitter at FW Maternity. And do check out the Matex hashtag M-A-T-E-X-P, as well as our website matex.org.uk for ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Thank you for listening.